Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. When you're around and when you're not, because when the real come on faith comes, you act like who you really believe you are, as a man thinks in his heart. God, no wonder Job would rear back and say, oh, that there was a dazed man, a mediator, one among a thousand that could show man not his sin or his iniquity, his uprightness. If you could just get them to believe they're righteous, they'll start to act like they are and they'll start to reign in life and they'll start to walk by faith and not by sight. See, it's not hard for me to believe I'm a sinner. It's hard for me to believe I'm righteous. Come on, somebody. But I'm going to tell you, that's where faith kicks in. And the more you preach it, the more people will begin to believe. And when they become believers, they'll get up out of whatever they're in and say, listen, I was born for something greater than this. The moment the prodigal son said, I remember my daddy's house. I remember who my father is. I wish you'd touch your neighbor and say, come on, who's your daddy tonight? Who's your daddy? When he remembered who his daddy was, he got up and went back to his father and the father saw him a long way off. I don't want to sidetrack on this. But dad was waiting on him to come home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got a classic message. It's one of our most bought messages out there called Papa Runs Like a Girl. Because in Hebrew culture, men did not run. But when the father saw him a long way off, he pulled his robe off and took off running. He didn't tell him, you need to get the hog slop off of you. You need to get your life cleaned up. He said, son, welcome home. Here's a robe. Here's a ring. You're a son. You weren't born. That son comes back. He said, Father, make me a servant. And the father said, Son, listen, that's old covenant thinking. You're not a servant. You're a son. Oh, I ain't going to get Hallelujah. And the older son, here's the tragedy of the story, is the younger son comes back and the father receives him. But the older son is really, to me, the, the tragedy of the story. He hears the sound of celebration. And he says to one of the servants, what meaneth the sound of this celebration? See, he'd been in the house of his father his whole life and did not understand what the sound of celebration sounded like. I'm convinced, Pastor Allen, that if we had a party once in a while in the house of God, our younger brother, our young people wouldn't leave home looking for one. And y'all gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm gonna tell you, man, hallelujah. Some of our youth camps, one of the first youth, one, back, not one of our first ones, but back several years ago, man, we got in our youth camp. I did, matter of fact, we had the theme about the Lion King that I talked about last night. And I walked over to my pastor. The music was going, church is full of young people. I said to my pastor, I said, I believe the Holy Spirit just told me to dive off the stage and body surf. And she looked at me like, yeah, right, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. She thought I was kidding. And then she looked back over me, saw that look on my face like God was moving on me. She said, really? Seriously? I said, yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure God told me to dive off that stage. She said, you know, you're a pretty big old boy to be diving off the stage. <laughs> she said, obey God. I went up, I, I gathered me a couple of big old boys because it takes some big old boys to catch this. <laughs> I tell people all over the world, I got some friends who are bishops, but I'm an archbishop. 
That ain't a belt, it's a fence around a chicken graveyard. Come on. I can work a buffet. Hallelujah. I'm like the Apostle Paul, been buffeted on every side. I know it's a play on words. She said, you better gather you up some big old boys to do it. I did. I got me a couple of big old boys. I took off running. I dove into that crowd, and it's all they could do to catch me. But by the time they got me to the back of the church, they just about tore my, tore my clothes off. <laughs> I turned around. Bishop Huskins was standing behind me. At that time, he was wearing his bishop's collar. He pulled his bishop's collar. He took off running right behind me and dove off the stage. What he did about 80 of them young people did. I mean, revival broke loose. Kid gets healed. I mean, people are just, I mean, just by just obeying God. Now, I'm not saying you ought to jump off the stage every time. I mean, we literally, we come back down here and we were actually up in Cedartown and, and I seen Bishop go his platform was about this high I seen him go clean the sacrament table off of his sacrament table and I thought this dude is going to dive off the stage right in the middle of this international conference sure enough he took off running he's a little he was a little fellow than me he dove out there and they caught him and I run over there because I thought if you're at Rome you do what the Romans do I run over there like I was going to dive off that stage it looked like you parted the Red Sea <laughs> I believe you was there that night, wasn't you, Roger? I think ultimately you run off that stage that night. Did I forget? Anyway, right behind me, after I did, I turned around. Bishop, hallelujah! Bishop Knox was right behind me, and he's usually well dressed. I've never seen the man with his shirt tail off. He took off running. By the time they got done with him, he couldn't find his glasses. His shirt tail was full. He looked like he'd been on. <laughs> he looked like he'd been to a party. But you say, what are you saying, brother? I'm saying I believe that the sound of celebration. Listen, we are not mourning a dead Savior. We are celebrating a resurrected Christ. And church ought not to be a place where we come in where we look like we've been baptized in dill pickle juice. Uh, we don't need to look like death sucking on a lifesaver. We ought to be the most happy, the most rejoicing, the most successful people. I believe with everything that's in me, listen, I'm having such a good journey that I believe God high-fives me about every night and say, I'm having a hoot living in your body, man. God experiences his creation through us. But here's what the older brother said. He said he did not understand the sound of celebration. What meaneth the sound? And he turns around and says, what meaneth the sound of the celebration? And then he goes to his father and he says, my father, watch this. I have served you. I served you my whole life. And you never one time gave me a fat calf. <laughs> To make merry with my friends. Now here's the, oh, the younger brother came back. He said, Father, make me a servant. Here's the deal. Both of them are stuck in this I'm a servant mentality. That's an old covenant paradigm. That's an orphan mentality. But in the new covenant, Jesus came to introduce something about God. That he's not just this austere old man sitting on a Victorian chair three miles south of Mars. He is Abba. He is my Father. He's my God and He's your God. He's my Father and He's your Father. And Jesus came to introduce, come on, that we sang about tonight. He's a good, good Father. And it's you know, amazing to me that the bigger I preach God and the more loving I preach Him, the matter Christians get. But I'm telling you, He's better than you can imagine. Now, he's a good, good Father. He's good all the time. I really believe that. 
Our problem is we think that sin is the source of our pleasure and God's the source of our pain because of the way we've been raised. The truth of it is it's exactly opposite. If we think God is the source of my pain and sin is the source of my pleasure, I'll run from God and run to sin. But the moment I realize sin is the source of my pain and God is the source of my pleasure, I'll run from sin and I'll run to God because there's a relationship that He's waiting on. Come on, somebody, where you can crawl up in His lap and He'll love on you and give you the kingdom. It is His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and His, not yours, His righteousness, then all these things are added to you. The reason we're not getting all these things is because we're trying to get it to the access of our own old covenant righteousness. I cut my teeth on kingdom preachers, but every one of them I heard most of the time preach that we access the kingdom through an old covenant righteousness. Except here's the deal. Nobody ever makes it. That's right. Based on old covenant righteousness. I love what the father says to that son. He said, son, all that I had was yours. The truth of it is you could have had it any time. All you had, all you... Man, what a tragedy that you lived in the whole house and you never had a party. I believe if I'd have been that son, I'd have went home tonight and said, this one tonight's for the younger brother. Tomorrow night's on me. We're going to kill another calf tomorrow night. We're going to have another party. This is a celebration. I'm telling you, man, I'm enjoying my journey. I thank God. Listen, religion will steal your life. A relationship will give you back your life. See, Jesus said, I came not just to give you a ticket to heaven or a get out of hell free card. I came to give you life and that more abundantly. And I believe with everything that's in me that the life is what becomes the life. And the more life we have, the more it is attractive to a world. I used to think that my, my, my testimony was that I looked holy. And the truth of it is, that was not a light to the world. People said, you mean your God makes you dress like that? You mean your God makes you act like that? See, you know, my wife is probably watching live stream, but she's about five foot one, about 115 pounds, blonde hair, green eyes, drop dead gorgeous, absolutely sovereign grace that I married a woman like this. <laughs> Love you, babe. <laughs> but we got married, I told her, I said, when we got married, you was drop dead gorgeous. Whatever it costs to keep looking like that, you don't even have to ask me. Here's the master card, don't leave home without it. Now she'll tell you that's the absolute truth. Now she's been telling me lately that it costs me a lot more for her to look like that. <laughs> But it's worth it to me. See, see, religion stole our self-esteem. It stole our looks. It stole our families. See, there's a lot of casualties to the stuff we preach. It's not even biblical. We preach from a wrong covenant because the whole, that covenant was designed so that every mouth would be stopped and all the world would become guilty. That the end of the law is there's none righteous, no, not even one. That that's the whole point of the law is to bring you to the end of yourself where you realize I need a savior. Let me come back here to listen to Matthew again. Where, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to get as far as I thought, but I'm, I'm following the flow of the Holy Spirit tonight. When Jesus began to teach the Beatitudes, the first thing He said, "You're blessed when you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness." He's teaching them what will cause them to be able to receive the kingdom, and then what it is that will cause them to be able to release and minister the kingdom. Then you'll be blessed if you're a peacemaker. You're going to be blessed, you know. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? In other words, you learn how to receive the kingdom, then you learn how to release and administer the dispenser of the kingdom. I think one of our problems is we're kingdom consumers and not kingdom distribution centers. We come with a, here's my cup, Lord, I fill it, lift it up, instead of coming and saying, let me become a dispenser. 
of your glory. Let me, let me be an exporter of the water of life that's in my belly. Come on. Let me be an exporter of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me, are you hear what I'm saying? That's our... That's good. So we got to turn this thing around from a need base to a supply base. Law demands grace as a supply. When Jesus began to teach, and, and, and uh, uh, coming back to my original thought here, he began to say to them, he looked at the common people, and again, AJ that travels with me, I'm going to bring it back to the story. He, he said to me, he was sitting in the service that night, and I'm preaching this. And he calls, he said, and I said, Jesus said to the common people, AJ calls them the pheasants. What he means is the peasants. And Jesus looked at the common people. He said this, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. That's right. And so if I was standing there, see, to them, the scribes, Pharisees, and I call them the holy dudes, that's like saying to a Catholic, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pope, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. Now, they probably looked and thought, then I'm doomed. I'll never make it. How I many of that would just come on? Yeah. It would be just except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes. And the scribes and Pharisees are standing there, the holy dudes that are going, ah. Yeah, I thank God I'm not like that sinner. And then Jesus turns on the holy dudes and he starts preaching the law undiluted. Because they had made the law manageable to make themselves look holy and good, broad phylacteries, long prayers for pretense. They knew how to work the system. Am I helping you tonight? And he says to them, your law says do not kill, but I say if you hate your brother, you a killer. He moves it beyond the act realm into the condition of the heart because see, law can make you behave, but grace will change your heart. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. See, here's the difference. The context there again is, listen, I used to think when they said, be not conformed to this world, I thought that, I remember them terrorist preachers said, be not conformed to this world. If you go back to watching a movie at the picture house, or you go to a dance, or you, you know, whatever we called sin back in those days, we was being conformed to this world. But the whole idea in the context of Romans 12 is, the message of law is a message that conforms you. Exactly. The message of grace is the message that transforms you. Change is still in order. It's how that occurs that became in question for me. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? Because transformation, see, conform means to superimpose something from the outside in. But to transform is to change from the inside out. Woof says it like this, stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you. Come on, somebody. So this thing that God is doing comes from the inside out and not from the outside in. And the moment you start preaching like this, what's really in people's hearts starts to surface. I wish I had a couple hours tonight. And that's what kind of gives the message a bad name. But see, the truth of it is that in the climate of freedom is the only place where really what's in your heart surfaces. But Jesus begins to teach this to these guys. He said, I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're a killer. And all of a sudden, these holy dudes that they thought glowed in the dark are going, oh, God. I've become a professional acting like I love my brother. When really I've said, God bless you. 
Hallelujah. How you doing tonight? Love you, brother. God bless you. And then when you walk away, I hope you break your leg fall on going out the dirt. That dirt bag I was just with. You know what I'm saying? Come on. And then he turns around and gives them another law. Just two laws. He only gives, he said, your law says do not commit adultery. But I said to you, if you look upon a woman to lust after you, you committed adultery already in your heart. Now, Jesus has only given them two laws. And the Holy News are going, oh, God. I've become a professional at acting like I didn't notice that good-looking woman. Oh, y'all going to get upset with me here in a minute. Yes, sir. This is where people are struggling at, though. I had a young man get in my... I, I, I'm really risking it here tonight. I had a young man get in my prayer line in Baltimore. 16 years old, and he got in my prayer line. It was a big, big meeting, and, and, and I, he said to me, Dr. House, pray for me. I said, okay, what, what's the problem? He hem-hauled a little bit. I said, no, what's the problem? He said, I'm struggling. I said, struggling with what? He said, lust. I said, how old are you? He said, 16. I said, get out of my line. <laughs> Stay with me, folks. Don't quit me on TV. I'm going to help you in just a minute. I said, when you're 40, you'll be back in my line. You want me to put that back in you? <laughs> Y'all looking at me funny, but some of you on medication right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm preaching good. Now, I said to him, I said, son, what you're struggling with is something every young person struggles with. And I said, it's, it, it's natural affection. If you, now, I said, if, you, if you're lusting for Steve, then I'm going to pray for you. But just because you notice Susie looks good does not mean you've got a problem. It means you're 16 years old. Now, understand where I'm coming from. Stay with me just a moment here. See, there's some dimension here where, I mean, I think you can get over in areas where it becomes a real problem of lust. But there's also a, an area where you're supposed to have natural affection. And I said to him, I said, young man, listen to me. I said, one day you are going to meet Mrs. Wright. And when you meet Mrs. Wright, you're going to be glad I didn't cash that out of you because you're going to need every bit of it you got. Y'all don't want to help me preach, but I'm going to preach anyway, because this is where people need to live. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I said, man, I said, listen, and I said, inside of covenant, God has made everything beautiful, and it's time, and I said, you're going to, and I said, listen, I believe it's inside of covenant, listen, I believe no wed, no bed, no covenant, no loving it. <laughs> that sounds like a bumper sticker right there, hallelujah. I think that's good wisdom. But we've lost most of our young people when they reach about age 16 till they're about 80, and they think they're going to hell the whole time they're walking through. Listen, stay with me a minute. Jesus was preaching the law. Because the purpose of the law, Romans 1, 2, and 3, is to conclude all under sin so he can have mercy on all so that you realize I can't do this on my own. I need a Savior. No matter what you're struggling with, until you come to the end of yourself and realize I can't help myself. See, we'll teach this in drug rehabs. We'll teach this in recoveries. But we won't teach it to Christians who have other problems. Listen, if you could help yourself, you would have helped yourself. And if you could help yourself, it would be self-righteousness. But I came to a place a long time ago. I said, without him, I can do nothing, but with Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the overcomer who lives inside of me. It's not by my might or by my power. It's by his spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. And then Jesus turns up the heat on preaching the law. And he turns around and says to him, right behind the lust scripture. 
if you're right. Let me just say this. He says, if you're looking for a woman to lust after. I'm not, he's not just talking to men. He's talking to men and women. He's dealing with everybody here. But he dealt with the two biggies because he knew if I get this, then I'm going to start drawing them in. You hear what I'm saying? Then he turns around and said, if, you, if I offend you, poke that dude out. Now, I was in Peculiar, Missouri, and I said to my mob buddy, I said, get, you got, I said, I want you to help me tonight. He said, you want me to help you tonight? He's all thrilled because he's going to finally get to help me ministry. I said, yeah, this is, this is right up your specialty. He said, what you need? I said, you got an ink pen? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to stand right here because I'm going to sing just as I am without one plea. And if your eye is offending you, my friend here is going to poke that bad boy out. <laughs> Because Jesus preached this, Matthew 5. Now what we do with this, we try to spiritualize it. He's not spiritualizing. He's giving them old covenant concepts. But he's showing them that even if you poke the eye out, that's not going to change the heart. You sat there blind, come on, thinking about it. You don't want to help me preach. So I said, he said, so he gets an ink pen, and I'm thinking just as I am. Without one plea, ain't nobody getting in the line. And I said, I need somebody to go back to the dining hall and, and get me a butcher knife because Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut that dude off. So I got a guy over here with a meat hatchet, and we're going to cut hands off and poke eyes out over here. And, and, and ain't nobody getting in my line. If I had a prosperity line or a prophecy line, they'd have lined up, but ain't nobody getting into eye poking or hand cutting or foot chopping line. That's good. And I'm just singing just as I am without one plea. And ain't nobody coming. See, because we sing that and don't mean it. We sing just as I am. But they, they lying when they sing that. They said, we're going to sing the first and last stanza of just as I am without one plea. But they, they lying because, number one, they're going to sing it 37 times. They're not going to do it without one plea. And if you don't come, they're going to come get you. Would you come? Would you come? And they'll drag you. Come on. And then when you get there, they'll take you just like they are. You, come on. But they really don't want you just like you are. I know I'm preaching good here. And the reality of it is, is that I said, I need one more volunteer. And it was amazing to me, Pastor, that the women was the ones that was armed to the teeth. I said, I need one more knife. And the lady in the back said, Dr. House, she said, I've got a knife. And she brought out one of these little, uh, it was like a Swiss Army knife. And she said, you can borrow this knife. I said, okay, thank you. And I said, I need one more volunteer. And this older guy from the back over to my right said, Dr. House, I'll help you tonight. And he, but as he's walking up the aisle, he said, but that ain't a knife. You know, that little, he pulled out of his hip pocket what looked like like a crocodile dundee knife and flip that thing open he said that's a knife i said yeah that's a knife i said but see i need you to run my circumcision line because if you're going to keep the law you got to be circumcised now y'all don't want to help me preach up in here tonight When I got to the, see, everybody was wondering what I was preaching to. I got the circumcision line. But the moment I got to the circumcision line, every man in that place was like, Brother House, we eat under the law. I said, mission accomplished. Come on, somebody. He gave the law so that every mouth would be stopped and all the world would become guilty before God. That you would realize, I need a Savior. See, what we don't realize is not even Moses, who was the mediator of that covenant, made it in by the works of the law. He certainly did. 
Here's Moses who spent 40 years in Egyptian schools, preparing to be the heir apparent to the throne of Ramesses. And he was going to rule all of Egypt, but one day he made this. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Because this gets personal to me. He made the mistake of leaving the plushness of the palace. And he walked out and he saw God's people and he saw the condition that they are in. And he saw his own people being abused by a system of slavery in Egypt. And let me grab this from Revelation 11 verse 8. He said, and their dead bodies, Revelation 11 verse 8 says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And I begin to realize, Revelation 11, 8, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. But the Holy Spirit would make a connection from that verse to the system of religion that they were under in bondage and call it a slavery and a system of Egypt. Because how many know when you were in, it's, listen, the slavery that we've been on is not necessarily the slavery of the world. I'm not, listen, God wants to set you free from the bondage of the world, but he don't want to set you free from the bondage of the world to bring you into the bondage of slavery or religion. We, we Listen, people walk down a church out and trade one set of stress and problems for another one. You know, if you play country music backwards, you get your truck back, your dog won't run, get run over, train won't hit you, and you'll get out of jail. <laughs> it's the same way with gospel. If you play it backwards, you get your life back, your looks back, your wife back, your kids will come back, your peace will come back, your joy will come back. You'll get some things back. See, I believe it's about time we get some restoration of joy. <laughs> How do you get it? First of all, you realize you're righteous because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. The moment I realized I was righteous, not based on my opinion but or, or my uh, performance, but based on a gift of God, then my peace came. When my peace came, my joy started to come. And when my joy started to come back, I get a sneaking grin on my face like this is too good to be true. I'd be riding down the road with a grin on my face like this is too good to be true. And I have coined a phrase since then. If it's too good to be true, it's probably the gospel. Because if you leave here tonight with a bunch of stuff to do, you probably didn't hear the gospel. But if you leave here with something to believe, come on, you probably heard the gospel. Now, the believing will make you change what you do. Come on, somebody. Because right believing will produce right living. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I, 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 this is so powerful to me. So when, you know, I began to really, Moses began to, uh, you know, he was the heir apparent. And one day the Bible said that he left, he left the palace and he saw God's people in bondage. And he began to embrace what he was born to do. And that was to set God's people free. I was in Tulsa last year, I believe it was Tulsa. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, son, you can... You could choose to stay in the plushness of the palace and you can you can have some success and it will be good for you. Or you could embrace what I called you to do. And in order to do that, you might have to leave the plushness of the palace and set God's people free. Preaching like this doesn't necessarily put you on big platforms, but I'm telling you the truth, I could care less. I, I could care less the who's who in the zoo. I am done with the meat market parade of flesh.
I have seen the condition of God's people and what motivates me is what motivated Moses. He had recompense. He had respect for the recompense of the reward and I believe his reward was he saw that if I will do this and leave my own personal comfort and my own personal success and walk away from the palace and the plushness of the palace that one generation from now my children and my grandchildren will never know the whips and chains of the bondage. They'll never know the smell of another Egyptian flesh pot. What moves me is not who knows my name or how many TV channels we're on or how many books I've written is when I hold my grandbabies in my arms and say you will never know a system that abuses you and gives you religion instead of a relationship with God. That's what drives me. That's success. That's how I measure success. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.